0: And what I want to do is create a shift from that sense of heavy duty around sustainability to a sense of playfulness, curiosity, excitement about the opportunities and enable those designer makers to feel proud of what they do again, because they should feel proud of what they do. And so that's been a similar shift in terms of those values that rather than seeing sustainability and doing good for the planet as this kind of heavy duty, and this sense of responsibility and guilt. I mean, I was speaking to a designer maker recently who stopped making entirely because they just can't reconcile putting more stuff into the world. And it breaks my heart. (laughs)
1: Welcome to season 2 of Do Good and Do Well. My name is Sarah Fox and I'm a life and leadership coach and founder of the Do Good and Do Well community. And this is a podcast where we explore how to be a change maker without losing yourself. Let's get to it. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode. How are you today? I'm talking to Katie Trigodon today. Katie is a purpose-driven writer and keynote speaker championing a circular approach to design because planet Earth needs better stories. She is currently exploring the question, can craft save the world? Through an emerging body of work that includes her fifth book, Wasted When Trash Becomes Treasure, and a podcast, Circular, with Katie Trigodon. We talk about circular economy. we talk about if craft can save the world and Katie talks about her new mastermind program for artist makers, which sounds brilliant and we also get on to the subject of money and how important that is and for those of you interested I am running an online workshop which will ask whether it's okay to make money from doing good and will give you some tools to challenge some of the stories that might be going on that stop you from asking for money or asking for more money so that will be on Thursday the 29th of July in the evening all the details I will add to the show notes come and join us in the meantime here's my chat with Katie. Hello Katie and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? I'm very well thank you so much for having me. Oh you're welcome. So what
0: would you like people to know about you? Do you know I think having spent 18 months in almost lockdown, in and out of lockdown, and spending far too much time on social media, I'm trying not to think about that question as much as I have of late. (laughs) I guess what would be useful for people to know about me for for the the sake of this conversation is that I'm an author, journalist, podcaster, and keynote speaker, and I'm on a mission to answer the question, can craft save the world? So I'm interested in... In the power of making with our hands, and the role that that has to play in bringing about a more circular economy.
1: Mm. Yes, can craft save the world? I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> Maybe we'll get onto that. So, can you explain this idea of the circular economy and circular design for anyone who's not quite sure about it?
0: Yeah, sure. So I think the reason I prefer the term the circular economy to something like sustainability is it's really specific. So sustainability is a fantastically broad term that can include all sorts of things, whereas the circular economy is very specifically defined by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So it's about designing out waste and pollution, So in a perfectly circular economy, there would be no waste and pollution. It's about keeping materials and objects in use. So that's things like repairing things so they last longer. And then when they can no longer be repaired, taking them apart and reusing those elements or the materials for something else. And it's about regenerating natural systems. And that's the one that I think is most overlooked. I think we spend a lot of our efforts trying to do less harm rather than actively doing good in terms of the environment and so those are the three things that make up the circular economy and i really like that as a model because it's it's very specific Mm. it's asking us to do specific things ultimately it's probably unachievable you know a perfectly circular economy but it provides this wonderful north star to be constantly moving Mm. towards and that's why i talk about often a more circular economy because we may never get to a perfectly circular economy but it it gives us a a North Star and I've actually recently read a book called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek and he talks about having a just cause which must be something that is sort of unachievable within your lifetime Mm. but guides everything that you do and I think that's a that's a really powerful example of a just cause
1: yeah Yeah it reminds me of a quote by Michelangelo that I have on my desk. The greatest danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. It's it's really powerful I think.
0: Yeah. How did you how did you get into all of this? I spent 12 years working in advertising and brand strategy and marketing and that whole world kind of got spat out the other end of that I actually found out I'd lost my job via a post-it note <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. but then our whole office got closed down and uh yeah we all got made redundant and I found out via a post-it note so I sort of got spat out of the corporate world depleted and burnt out but I had to redundancy check and so I wanted to be a writer since I was five years old and I sort of thought well it's now or never. I was already writing a design blog called Confessions of a Design Geek and that had won an award relatively early on. I think it got nominated after five weeks and eventually won after Mm -hmm. five months of me writing it and so that sort of gave me a little platform and I was doing some freelance writing for an American design blog called Design Milk So that gave me a sort of tiny bit of confidence that I might be able to make this leap. And then I spent the next decade writing about purpose-driven craft and design, but I was quite broad in that definition. So I was always interested in craft and design that did good in some way. And then a few years ago, I thought, actually, I want to get really specific about what I mean by purpose-driven. So I went and did a master's in history of design and specialised in the first year I allowed myself just to explore and then the second year I set myself this question can craft save the world and explored the sort of intersections of craft design and sustainability so it's sort of been a journey of niching down and focusing I suppose and getting getting to this point where I really feel like everything is in alignment and I'm doing my life's work which is really exciting
1: Mm. I love that I think there's so you know particularly in the last year there have been many redundancies people losing their jobs and there's something so lovely to hear that it's not it doesn't have to mm. be the end of the world and actually that there, there are opportunities I mean yeah. my husband's been made redundant quite a few times so I'm, I'm, I'm not by a post-it note I have to say I mean that's that yeah. that's a new one but
0: that sense of What's possible now? Now, I met a man in a pub just after I'd been made redundant And he said, it'll be the best thing that's ever happened to you But only if you make it the best thing that's ever happened to you Mm. And that was such good advice Because I could have Got horribly depressed I could have gone back into another corporate job I hated But I really took that on board And was like, right, how do I make this the best thing that's ever happened to me And I I could do that by seeing this As as the one shot I've always wanted to do, which was to write
1: Mm. Yeah, really connecting to, well, I guess something that brings you joy, but also a real sense of purpose that mm. this is what you were here to to do and connecting with that. And, yeah, I, I love that. Do you think that if you hadn't been made redundant, you would still have found yourself in this place
0: at some point? It's an interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> I'm constantly sort of encouraging people to quit jobs they hate and follow the thing they love. <laughs> me too. Um, I don't – in all honesty, at that point in my life, I don't know if I would have been brave enough. I think so much mm. of my identity was bound up in being good at that job. that, And I don't think I had – I mean, the me now certainly would, but the me then – I didn't have coaches at that point in my life I didn't have the right mentors I don't think I would have had the guts is the honest answer I don't think I would have been brave enough so I am incredibly grateful to that post-it note (laughs) (laughs) do you still have it no I wish I did that's the sort of thing you should frame isn't it
1: yeah it is yeah
0: that would be amazing
1: this podcast obviously called do good and do well what does
0: that mean for you I think it's really interesting. Um, And we we obviously met because I joined your Facebook group by the same name. So that phrase obviously attracted me. It reminds me of a Venn diagram I drew. I can't remember whether it was in my interview or in my first appraisal for the first writing job I got after my career change. And I drew a Venn diagram, which now will sound very familiar to people, but at the time it came out of my brain and I drew it because I was trying to explain something (laughs) nebulous. And it had one circle which said, I want to do work I love. One circle which said, I want to do work which makes a difference in the world and, you know, does good. And one circle which says, I want to do work that I'm good at. Now, the Mm -hmm. one that people will have seen has also got a diagram saying, do work I can be paid for. (laughs) Yes. Which clearly didn't enter my brain at the time, 10 years ago. But yeah, I think I think doing good and doing well is about doing good in a way that also looks after your health and well-being, your mental health and physical health. And that's something that my previous career wasn't doing. And I think also doing well financially. I think it's there's this sort of myth that if you're doing good in the world, you shouldn't be able to earn money. And I was thinking about this. In preparation for talking to you, and uh, so if the rule is that if we 're doing good in the world, we can 't earn money, currently, we live in a capitalist society rightly or wrongly, so we need money to survive and certainly need money to thrive. So, what are we saying that the only way to earn money is by doing bad i mean that just doesn't that, <laughs> that doesn 't sound like a good system to me <laughs> you know incentivizing people not to do good, and I just that doesn 't stack up for me, and I also think there's a sense of this idea that doing good has to empty us and and martyr us mm. and i've certainly been guilty of that i don't get to rest mm. because i'm doing this important thing and and it's it's no good because you can't do good when you're broken and depleted and exhausted and i i think it's there's this sense and we're actually going back to simon's the next book there's there's this sense that we're playing a finite game That, you know, if I have money, someone else can't have money. Or if I rest, that work doesn't get done. And we're not playing a finite game. It's not zero sum. We can rest and still have time to do good. We can earn money and other people can have money. The more money I make in the business, the more money I get to spend hiring people and investing in other people and spreading that. And so I think there are these sort of zero sum mindsets that we've inherited Often designed to keep women and marginalized communities small, I think we have to start challenging some of that thinking.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness, everything everything you've said has been on playing on my mind a lot. And I I have something on my wall that says it is not bad to make money from doing good. Because I needed a reminder of that. My money story, one of them has been that, that people like me don't make money. It's greedy if you make money. It's not ethical if you make money. And it was only, I'd say, in the last year when I came into this very strange online (laughs) world that I saw women in particular challenging that, as you say, and saying, no, hang on a minute, good people
0: need or should are able to are allowed to want money in the creative industries you get this double effect because you've also got the starving artist cliche where you shouldn't have a job you love and you shouldn't be creative and earn money so if you're a creative person who's trying to do good you've got this sort of layering up and my parents are all teachers and nurses and dentists and all work in caring professions and again there's a sense that that's supposed to be a vocation you shouldn't earn money <laughs> it's just like you know I think if anything over the last 18 months we've seen that key workers should be earning a lot more money and you know perhaps the billionaires in the in the country can afford to <laughs> the people getting those PPE contracts can afford to have a little less I think there's lots of stories that we're told by the patriarchy that we need to start challenging
1: mm, yeah It's so important. And and just recognising, I I, I had a session with one of my mentees this morning and we were talking about, he's in the creative industries, and we were talking about how do we create sustainable business? We need to really understand our numbers because I think that's a big thing as well, is that a lot of people aren't financially literate or particularly business minded. So how do we upskill people in that? very practical sense as well Mm. so that they know what is possible as well as challenge money stories but you know we were talking about creating a sustainable business means that you need to know your figures you need to know what you need what you need to earn what you want to earn so you can live a life that feels good Mm. and therefore you know what what work you can take on what's your capacity I, i i think particularly in the creative industries there's that this phrase I've heard so much are you can just could you just do this piece of work? Could you just create this artwork? Could you just and and actually what is the cost of that work? And so many of the people I work with are the hours that they are working means that they ultimately oh. get paid about one pence a day. And it's not sustainable. We have to get better at having these conversations. And you articulate that so well. Was there a particular shift for you in terms of that that thinking about business and about money?
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you talk about the business level as well, because, you know, the word sustainable is used a lot in the environmental space, but also to mean financially sustainable. And if our businesses aren't profitable, we can't carry on doing the good work that we do. And actually, there's data to show that purpose driven profit making companies can achieve their purpose more effectively than non profit making companies. Mm. So actually, that drive and that mechanism is very effective for doing good. But I think the shift for me came, I think, when I started having coaching. So I worked with Ray Dodd, who I'm sure you know, who is a, a fantastic coach who has helped to break down some of those stories that we're told from a very young age, particularly as women, particularly as members of marginalized communities and all the intersections that come with that. She's got this wonderful phrase, which is, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And it's just this sense of, okay, so there's this structure that I'm living and I'm, you know, relatively privileged within all those intersections. I'm a a white woman from a relatively stable home background and all of those sorts of things. Um, But I think being aware of the, the structures that we're operating in and starting to understand that to a greater or lesser extent, they're rigged against us. And starting to work out how to navigate some of those obstacles and roadblocks. Understanding that it's not your fault. You haven't failed as a human because you've come up against one of these roadblocks. And then giving you the tools to navigate and work past it. I think that's been incredibly valuable for me. And that's only really been in the last few years. I used to very much have a sense that because I was doing good, I couldn't earn money because I was doing a job I loved. I couldn't earn and I shouldn't earn money. And I spent yeah. the first few years of my career earning very little and actually ending up having to close ventures that were incredibly valuable because I had never worked out how to make them profitable. And those ventures are therefore not doing the good now that they they could have done in the world. And so I don't think it's selfish or greedy I think it's a very bad thing to profit from people's misfortune and I think that's a different thing and there are situations in which that certainly happens and I think that's something that we must be careful of but I think we can engineer win-win-win situations and I I personally love the people planet and profit model so that a business is success is judged not only on how it's doing financially but also on how it's people are doing in terms of uh, their well-being and their health and safety and whether they're thriving and also the impact on the planet and i think if we can if we can keep those three things it's not enough just to be good for people and planet because you can't keep doing that within a capitalist society without the profit as well and but i think if we can keep those three things in balance and we can keep doing good and we can do more good. And that's that's the point. That's why you and I are here. That's why all the people listening, I'm sure, have tuned in. Is because we want to keep doing good. And I think you need those three things in balance in order to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And there is enough to go around and we can become more connected to our core values, what we really believe in and stay aligned to those. I think I've been talking about marketing ourselves on the course I run for fledgling coaches, and some of it can be quite icky. And if, but if you really listen into yourself, you know what's right for you and you know what isn't. And really remembering that we get to choose, we get to choose who we work with, and we we get to. If, if we can get to a place where we're making decisions about money based on the fact that we are already enough and that we know our business model, we know what we want it to look like, then that's a much better way than, than basing decisions on what we've been told we are able and not able to do Mm -hmm. and we're coming from a place of not enough and we're coming from a place of scarcity so we're doing more and more and more and more because we have to because we're not getting paid well enough in the first place or Mm. you know that the the project that artists take on is taking up too much time so they're not able to do any other work but if we can learn to listen to ourselves to really connect to our values and as I say cut get into that really grounded space then Mm. I think that will I think more and more people can shift that perspective that they have Mm.
0: and everybody wins if you're if you've had to take on too much work because none of it's paying enough you're not servicing any of those clients particularly well because you're you know busy and tired and whereas if charging the right amount you can do a better job and you know everybody's it's a it's a win-win but I think the values thing is interesting because I think again we inherit certain values Yeah. so I've done values exercises hundreds of thousands of times and I used to have things like hard work courage (laughs) integrity uh, being amenable and bending myself into shapes to suit other people and I remember somebody looked at them and they were like Katie these are not values at least they're not yours (laughs) And I I had to do some really hard work to work out. Oh, am I allowed that as a value? Well, that's exciting. (laughs) To actually come up with a set of values that felt light and freeing rather than felt like duty. And actually, this is an interesting moment to mention, the masterclass I've just launched. um, Because one of the things I'm hearing from designer makers, which makes me really sad, is that they used to feel really proud to make with their hands and they used to feel, you know, that was a really good thing to do. They were making beautiful objects by hand, whereas now they feel this sense of guilt about putting more stuff out into the world. And sustainability feels like this heavy onerous duty and you can't create Mm -hmm. from a place of guilt and duty. And so I've created this 12 week masterclass, which is designed to inspire, educate, and empower designer makers to create circular products made from waste. And what I want to do is create a shift from that sense of heavy duty around sustainability to a sense of playfulness, curiosity, excitement about the opportunities and enable those designer makers to feel proud of what they do again because they should feel proud of what they do. Mm. And so that's been a similar shift in terms of those values that rather than seeing sustainability and doing good for the planet as this kind of heavy duty And this sense of responsibility and guilt. I mean, I was speaking to a designer maker recently who stopped making entirely because they just can't reconcile putting more stuff into the world. And it breaks my heart because I love their work. I've got some of it. And so it's about reframing that value, which is about, you know, doing good for the planet in a way that is light and creative and playful and and expressive and... I think that's really important as well, that doing good can be something that we can feel excited about rather than feeling guilty about.
1: One of the questions I often ask the people who are working with me is, how can you make this more fun? (laughs) How can you make this more fun for yourself? Where's the joy that you came into this because you get so much joy from this work? Where is it? where's it gone (laughs) and how can you put more into that so I love that sense of well really firstly really noticing how heavy people are feeling around this because I think you're right it it feels like another thing that we can beat ourselves up with you know or you're not doing that good enough you're not you're putting too much out into the world but actually reframing it as you say to be okay let's get this is our scaffolding let's say and these our framework what can we do within that that feels exciting and creative and joy is so important you know oh. joy is be it being a bit mischievous a bit playful but it just it as you say it lightens us up and I even think that with business sometimes it's like how it does feel like, oh I've got there's so much to do, but how can we bring more joy into it and enjoy our lives right now and thinking of being present in the now. And that's what it feels like your um, masterminds offering that here we are twelve weeks together. What can we do right now with the resources that we have and how can we have fun with it?
0: Yeah, and I think actually I've developed a framework of the circular economy for designer makers and it's got the three mindsets that I think you need to develop to work with waste as a raw material and I've interviewed hundreds of designer makers who are already doing this so this comes from you know a a place of genuine research experimentation collaboration and putting materials first and letting the materials dictate the design and so baked into that framework is this sense of playfulness and and curiosity and that's how it works if you want to work with waste as a raw material you're going to struggle without adopting those approaches and so it's not even a sense of this is the framework how can we play within it the play, the framework itself has that sense of play and curiosity built into it because it's the only way you know waste materials are inconsistent and they are mm-hmm. untested and you have to you have to play with them and experiment with them in order to work out what they can do what they're good for what what you can design with them, and so it's very difficult to work with those materials without that that sense of playfulness,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah and ideas didn't it wasn't it Edison or someone that said i've had I had to go through ten thousand bad ideas before I got to the best one, that sounds
0: that sounds awesome <laughs> and lots of fun it's a lot of fun I'm hot <laughs> I'm... <laughs> we're both too excited, aren't we. <laughs> Um, joy fun playful yay yeah (laughs) but it works that's the thing I think people often see these things as a bit a bit fluffy and perhaps a bit feminine but I'm halfway (laughs) through the beta version of this masterclass so we're on week eight I think at the moment and I've been blown away by the results that these designer makers are getting already they're designing products and setting up waste exchanges and somebody's Mm -hmm. just landed a £10,000 grant from the Arts Council Wales which is based on the fact that she's working so collaboratively it's been yeah because obviously all I'm doing is creating the space for this stuff to happen in and i've been absolutely blown away by by how much is happening and the the sort of 10 11 designer makers who decided to take a punt and join me for the beta run it's been really magical to watch what they're achieving already and how their whole body language has shifted and their whole demeanour has shifted just in eight weeks you can see they're excited again and they're regaining that sense of, of pride in what they do and 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 creativity and experimentation and all that that sort of thing you can see it on their faces when we meet up for our lives which is really lovely that is lovely and isn't it such a privilege
1: to be in that space to to see that happening and know that you've had a part in creating that. It's so yeah, really lovely tone And I can even see in your face, I know the listeners can't, but the pride that you have is really lovely. I want to go back to this question. Can craft save the world? Yes. Where are you in the <laughs> where are you on the answer
0: spectrum with that right now? So spoiler alert, I think it can <laughs> <laughs> I think the, there's a lot of people still looking for a silver bullet for the mm. carbon crisis and there isn't one and there's a wonderful quote in, in fact I think it was on their podcast Iana Elizabeth Johnson does a podcast called How to Save a Planet and they said what this is going to take, we've got 5 or 10 years tops to sort out the climate crisis and there is not going to be one single technological solution to that Mm -hmm. but there's a wonderful quote on that podcast when they said what it's going to take is tens and thousands of people trying and failing and trying again and I just think that is so beautiful and so one of the many 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 things that's going to save the world I believe is craft and I think inherently if you look at craft practices and you look at the tenets of the circular economy so the first one is design out waste and pollution Craftspeople tend to work with one material or mostly with one material and they tend to have a huge amount of respect for that material so they don't waste it just mm. inherently you watch a potter all the clay that doesn't make it into the pot goes back into a big pile gets needed again gets used again work with wood. Often those people will make smaller things from the offcuts of wood, and then the very little bits get burnt to heat the studio. You know, it's all it's all staying in. The next tenet of the circular economy is to keep materials and objects in use. And again, things that are made by hand can be read very easily, so you can see how to repair them. Makers are often menders, and menders are often makers. You can very easily disassemble those things. There's something called heat beat treat, which is the Processes that modern products go through, and often they render those materials molecularly different from how they started, and so they can't go back into the earth and naturally become nutrients for the next thing because they've been changed on a molecular level. So, if you think about something like plastic, which once upon a time was organic matter, it's been changed beyond all recognition and has now become something dangerous. That doesn't tend to happen in craft, the materials that are used in craft tend to stay recognisably animal, vegetable or mineral when they come out the other side, which brings me to regenerate natural systems. Again, those craft objects can usually go back into the earth in a way that's beneficial to the earth. And somebody who works with wood, Seb Cox is a a wonderful example. Sebastian Cox uh, makes wooden furniture from coppiced hazel. And he has a woodland that he coppices. So of course he's regenerating the natural systems because that's where his materials come from. And so I think that, that design and manufacture has got a lot to learn from craft. And actually, if you look at, there's a wonderful quote in a book by Glenn Adamson. I think it's in The Invention of Craft when he says, it's not that women and people of colour practice craft. It's that whatever women and people of colour do we call that craft and so there's this sense that we have been marginalizing certain segments of society by rather than calling it art or design we've put this craft label on it to sort of to, to, to demean it in a way and again women and people of color are the people who are most affected by climate change and when you're close to the problem you're close to the solution and so i think there's a huge power untapped power sitting within craft that is just waiting for its moment to come and save the world
1: Mm. yeah I feel a bit blown away by (laughs) by this well, it's a big problem isn't it I was thinking of all the wonderful people that I've worked with who are artists who that constant thinking process of what have I already got and how can I mm. use that and it, it just reminded me it's slightly different but it reminded me when I was working as, as a community artist uh, for a housing association and I got this storage room and anytime we would run a workshop session I would take any materials left back to this storage room like any, anything and so this storage room just got filled with so many different materials and some people couldn't understand why I just wouldn't just get rid of it and just move on to the next thing but it was really important to me and I remember when I left this (laughs) this cupboard was just kind of bursting and I was thinking about fixing and mending which I think you mentioned and menders are often makers and my husband is always mending stuff he loves it, it, it it's that it's the care isn't it it's it's mm. care for something I'm care for
0: somebody we... I think yeah. that's the thing is often my the current series of my podcast circular with Katie Tregidden is all about repair and the thing that's come out in those interviews is the fact that mending something is an expression of care for that object but it's also mm. an expression of care for the person who owns or uses that object and there's something really beautiful and I, I only really understood it academically until I wrote my i did a master's degree recently and did my dissertation on mending so my family all now think i have mending skills that i really don't have but um (laughs) my sister sent her favorite top to me because it had got some moth holes in it and asked her if i could mend it and um it really felt like an act of love it was a really almost quite moving experience mending her favorite top for her and I embroidered a little message on the washing label for her to find next time she washed it. And that really helped me. I'm a, I'm a big believer in hand knowledge as well as head knowledge. And that experience really helped yeah. me to understand what I had been learning about talking to all these people on the podcast about the way in which mending can be an act of care. I think it's really important.
1: What would be the worst thing that someone could send you to ask you to mend? I really don't have the
0: skills. I, <laughs> I I could sort of learn. I've learned a couple of embroidery mending techniques, but I'm not very good. No, I mean anything non-textiles. I really wouldn't know where to start. But it, yeah, yeah, it's so funny because I wrote my dissertation on mending. Everyone now thinks I have these hand skills, and I mean, I I, I tried to learn. My my stepmother very patiently tried to teach me to darn, but I'm really not very good at it <laughs> yeah. I'm not a complete finisher generally
1: and anything DIY just it doesn't doesn't bring me joy let's put it that way there is something very special about that ability to really sit and focus and because mm. it's often well maybe it isn't but in my head these are small things that require a lot of attention to detail because I guess you want to you want to be able to fix it in a way that honours the making in the first place. And uh, rather than shoving loads of gaffer tape around something, that might not be what we're talking about. Uh, but really being able to sit and, and take that care. And I think it's really it was lovely hearing you talk about doing that for your sister. And maybe there's something around our collective motivation that it's not if we're thinking about how we can do good in the world it doesn't necessarily have to be on a massive scale where we're changing whole worlds whole communities but actually what can we do on a, mm. a really small scale that is about fixing something with love and giving it back mm. to someone
0: and I think I think that's often the problem actually is this sense that the The problems we're facing now as a global community are so huge that people just get overwhelmed and overwhelmed into a state of paralysis. And I think there is also a lot of eco-shaming around, which is not helpful. Nobody's perfect. I don't think criticising what people are not doing helps. I think if each person can find the thing they can do with the time and resources they've got and the skills they've got and start there, I think that's so much more powerful than... I use the term can craft save the world because it's kind of this this juxtaposition between craft that we see as something quite small and marginalised and feminine and all of those things and save the world as this sort of big, bold... It's an intentional juxtaposition in, yeah. intended to to catch people's eye. But, you know, in reality, I think it's about finding small interventions. During lockdown, for example... I was busier than I've ever been. My husband works for our local council, was on the COVID emergency response team. So he was busier than ever. So we weren't in a position to suddenly do lots. But we both volunteered for our local volunteer service and we were both allocated an elderly person who needed their prescriptions collecting. And it's like, cool, I can do that. I can fit that into yeah. my life. And actually now I have a lovely relationship with a lady called Eileen who lives just down the road, which is gorgeous. Aww. Um hi, Eileen. But it's that, you know, it's that sort of thing. <laughs> I doubt she is, but hi Eileen, <laughs> if you are. <laughs> um but you know, it's that thing of we were seeing lots of people around us doing so much good because they were furloughed and they had the time to do that. And and we both sort of felt a bit overwhelmed and guilty that we didn't have the time or the skills to do things like sewing scrubs or whatever it was but we both thought actually let's just volunteer and see what they ask us to do and it it was just something little and with hundreds of thousands of people all doing that something little all the old folk got their prescriptions collected during the pandemic which was incredible and I think it's I think it's often that it's not letting yourself off the hook but it's also not feeling you've got to save the world single-handedly you know
1: yeah yeah i think there's just a lot of responsibility taken on by people who end up in this kind of world that they take it on themselves that it's that, that it's their job they're there that uh-huh. it's their purpose their job to do it and i think trusting that we, we will do what we can do and we will look after ourselves in the process and that's enough it, that, it can only be enough really Katie, how do we're coming to the end, how do people find out more about you? How do they get involved in this brilliant work that you do?
0: So if you want to find out more about the masterclass, that is at katietrigidden.com forward slash masterclass. I'm currently looking for 25 to 35 designer makers to join the first cohort after the beta run. And folks have until july the 19th to sign up and then that course will start in september if you are a designer maker i have a free facebook group which is called making design circular and that's just a place for people to be in community with other people trying to bring about the same sort of change so that's really powerful i'm on instagram at katietregidden.1 and i have an e-newsletter called can craft save the world which you can sign up for at my website which is katietregidden.com and i'm sure that you can help folks spell Trigidden in the show notes, right?
1: (laughs) I will put everything in the show notes. So you can easily click and find Katie and I would really recommend following her and getting the newsletter i get the newsletter and i learn something new every time i receive it so thank you very much and thank you for coming on and sharing your time with me we're now going to try and do an instagram live which is exciting although if you're listening to this you you won't see it live because we would have already done it (laughs) (laughs) thank you katie thank you so much for having me sarah So much in that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. As I say, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And a reminder if you'd like to join me for the money workshop, asking if we can make money from doing good and challenging some of our money stories, then you can find the link to that to register in the show notes too. I hope you're okay. This is a tough tough time in the world and as always take very good care